0: Of our mouth the meditation of your our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was just looking at my watch because I actually have three sermons that I wrote for today, and I'm still trying to figure out which one to do. And uh, I could probably do all three, but I'm not going to. One of the, uh, John said that they're short. One of the things I thought about this morning, I actually wrote down what I consider to be the Ten Commandments of, of the presidential election for Christians. And I was going to talk about that. I'll, I'll share them with you really, really quick. These are my Ten Commandments. Number one, Commandment number one, Thou shalt believe that Jesus will still be King the day after the election. <laughs> commandment two, number two, Don't go to bed with political parties. You think about that one. Number three, No political party has a monopoly over the Word of God. Commandment number four, remain in friendship and fellowship. Just remember what Paul said about there being no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female or Republican or Democrat. But we're all one in Christ Jesus. How about commandment number five, thou shalt not be a jerk. <laughs> you know, just be civil with one another. How about number six, thou shalt respect the candidates. Maybe I need to back up the number five, thou shalt not be a jerk. <laughs> six. Respect the candidates. Commandment number seven, thou shalt not get played and manipulated. Yeah, be educated, learn, figure it out. Commandment number eight, stay engaged in the political process. Commandment number nine, be informed, be prayerful, have integrity, and vote your convictions. And commandment number ten, love God, love people. If you want the expanded version, I'd be glad to give you a copy. But we're going to take a look at the text instead today. Now, the presidential election is coming up, so I'm going to ask you this question after three presidential debates and one vice president debate. Are you all ready to cast your vote? Now, some of you probably say, well, you already voted early. Well, that's okay. But I'm going to ask a different question. As a Christ follower, are you ready to cast your vote? Or are you one of those people who knows absolutely positively what they think and believe, but have absolutely positively no idea of what the Bible says about it. That's why I'm going to ask some questions. You'll see them on the screen. Somewhere in your in your uh, your folder you've got the questions, too. I mean, what position should a Christian take on gun control? What about prayer in school? What's the role, biblically speaking, that the government ought to take in taking care of the poor or offering health care to people? What is the theologically correct amount of taxes people ought to pay? What about capital punishment, the Equal Rights Amendment, or affirmative actions? What about life issues like abortion and euthanasia and stem cell research? What is a Christian response to the situation in Iran or Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran? I mean, should there be a constitutional amendment banning the burning of a flag of preserved marriages as only male and female unions? How does a Christian address things like that? Now, underneath all of these questions is this question, how should Christians relate to the government? Now, to answer this, I'm going to go back to what Jimmy Curtis just read you a little bit ago. That's Romans chapter 13. And Paul gives us here some extraordinary advice. In fact, he starts out in verse one, number? Verse 1 by saying, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Now, I want you to know that was a very radical shift historically because the Israelites always thought of themselves as a nation with their own government and their own land. That's what they were fighting for. But now Paul says it's no longer the goal of people or the people of God, to have their own independent state. Instead, Paul says that everybody is to submit to the state. And by submission, it's to be done without a grudging attitude or in a cynical or mechanical way. Instead, we are to be committed to the common good of all people. We're to participate in civic life and work for the well-being of all people. And we're to be involved and we ought to, be, we ought to vote and we ought to be informed as to what the Bible might suggest to us when we actually do cast those votes. Now, when Paul says we're to be submissive to the government, that does not mean that he thinks that all governments are right. Now, Paul says this because he was imprisoned for two years by a corrupt official who was just waiting for Paul to bribe him so he could get out of jail. Paul also recognizes something that all of us ought to understand and believe, and that is that behind the government is God. I mean, that's what I said. You know, people have asked me, what are you going to do the day after the election? I said, I'm just going to rejoice that God is still on the throne. It won't make any difference to me one way or another who or who is not elected president of these United States, because I know God is still in charge. And God, all through history, has always used governments, even when governments did not want to be used. Every government in this world, every king, every president, every queen, is subject and accountable to God. God moves them and uses them like chess pieces on a board. Amazingly, I don't know if you caught this in verse 6, in addition to submit to the government, he said, we ought to pay taxes. Hard as it is to believe, 2,000 years ago, people were trying to get out of paying taxes. Uh, They didn't want to pay for Roman roads. They didn't want to pay for Roman soldiers. Uh, They didn't want to build a new Colosseum in Rome, maybe with a dome over it or whatever. They just didn't want to do it. This was everybody. We don't want to pay taxes. What about today? You want to pay taxes? Larry Burkett, some of you know who he is. He's a Christian financial advisor, estimated that... Get this 50% of all Christians cheat on their taxes. Well, none of them are here, I know, but you know, probably in another church across the street or something. He said 50% of all Christians cheat on their taxes. Isn't that it? That's amazing to me. Verse 6 says, for the same reason you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants busy with this very thing. I'll I just tell you that if there's one takeaway you could take away today, it would just be this. Pay your taxes. Now, I want to go on. I want to share three principles, though, with you this morning from Romans 13. Here's principle number one. Principle number one is, oh, there's a whole bunch of them. But principle number one is this. God's purpose of salvation is not to be identified with any one country's well-being. Hope you get that and understand it. All nations have a way of somehow thinking that they are God's favorite. Here in our country, what do we think? Because it says in our money, in God we trust, or one nation under God, we say in the pledge, that somehow God loves this country more than he loves any other country in the world. We need to understand something, friends. God's love transcends every country. God's love transcends every political agenda. God's love transcends every cause and party, and He stands over them as the sole authoritative Word of God. There is only one community in this world that expresses God's dream for this world. Do you know what that is? It's the church. Not any nation, not any culture, not any society. It's the church that has favor of God. Now, all nations, cultures, and societies have their place, but guess what? Not a one of them is ever called in the Bible the bride of Christ. And when all of the nations, all of the cultures, all of the societies have gone away, there's only going to be one thing left, and that is the church that through all eternity will be cherished by the love of God. St. Augustine, who's a great Christian thinker, once said when Rome had been destroyed, he said, quote, all earthly cities are vulnerable. Men build them, men destroy them. At the same time, there is the city of God that men did not build and cannot destroy, and which is everlasting. That is why, as the body of Christ here, as we're called At First Lutheran Church, we need to be reminded of something that it doesn't make any difference. Who is elected? Who is in charge of this country? Let me remind you of something. We will still be in the business of the gospel. We are in the business of being the church. We are in the business of proclaiming the good news of life in the kingdom of God. No matter who is elected, we will still be in the business of proclaiming Jesus, our matchless teacher, Crucified and risen Lord, we will not deviate from this, we will not be distracted by this, we will not be turned aside from this, and we will do it with no apologies, no hesitations, and no second thoughts. And not just because we're Lutheran and stubborn, but because like Luther said, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, this is what we as a church, the body of Christ, are called to do and be. The body of Christ supersedes everything else in this world. Even Chuck Colson, who had some experience with this, said one time, The kingdom of God is never going to arrive on Air Force One. I don't care if whoever walks off thinks of himself or maybe someday herself as the Messiah or the Chosen One. The kingdom of God will not arrive on Air Force One. So one of the very first things to remember is that God's purpose of salvation is not to be identified with any country's well-being. I mean, God's plan is for the world. And God's hope for the world is always going to be his church. And a real practical thing for us to be clear on is this. We're in the business of the gospel, and we're in the business of being the church, not only to each other, but to other people in this country and throughout this world. Here's the second principle. We are to honor our leaders, This is a tough one. We are to honor our leaders. And I've got kind of a corollary statement under that. We are to engage in political involvement in the shadow of the cross. I'd say that many Christians, myself included, sometimes forget that. We forget about honoring those people who have been elected. We forget about involving ourselves in politics in the shadow of the cross. In 1 Peter 2.17 it says, Honor everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and get this, honor the emperor. Some people in the Jewish church probably had a heart attack when they heard that. First Timothy 2 said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Very simply, friends, we need to honor those people in leadership. We need to engage in the political involvement in the shadow of the cross. And with that in mind, let me just ask you a question. Have you noticed that people tend to behave badly toward those people that they disagree with politically? You notice that? People behave badly with people that they disagree with politically. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Think about it in the light of how you would like to uh, relate to each other just here in this local body of Christ called First Lutheran Church. Our goal, or at least one of our goals here as a church, would be to treat each other with the kind of love that God has toward us. Now that would mean that we're not going to be gossiping about each other. I mean, we are not going to listen to half-truths and then spread them so they become quarter-truths or eight-truths or no truth at all. I mean, as a church, we're not going to tolerate slander, having people say bad things about other people that are totally untrue. I mean, as a church, we're not going to allow rumors to go run rampant and go unchecked. Now, why? We say Because that's not acceptable in the church. And so for this reason, sometimes I do not understand why people who name the name of Jesus start talking about politicians. It's the kind of talk that they would never, ever engage in Around the church, out of these so-called Christian mouths come things like slander and deceit and cruelty and sarcasm. It's almost as if they think that they're only accountable for what they say in this building. But once they get out of the parking lot, they can say whatever they want to say about anybody they want to talk about. I'm here, as your pastor, to tell you that's, that's foolish and dangerous in the church It's foolish and dangerous outside the church. And I want you to understand my spirit here. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody in this church today. Because it can and it has happened to me as well. There's not a single person, I don't think, that can walk away from here today and say, Yeah, that was me. Here's how you recognize it. Here's how I recognize it in my own life. When, when, when your heart begins to go bad on this when you want to begin to believe bad things about other people, whether you know that they're true or not. For example, not long ago, somebody came up to me and said, how can you justify spending so much time in prison dealing with morally bankrupt people? I said, in talking to you, that's exactly what I'm doing now. And that's what you're doing talking to me. We are both morally bankrupt people. Don't get the great idea or the weird idea that only the morally bankrupt are in a prison somewhere. My Bible says for all, it doesn't say for all, comma, except those who go to church have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says all. I mean, everyone here is morally bankrupt. We live in the, literally here, in the shadow of the cross. And it's not safe to speak about anything unless I remember that I, too, am a morally bankrupt person, a sinner saved solely by the gracious mercy of God. Like Luther said, grace alone, faith alone, Scripture alone. This world is not divided into two categories. I actually read this the other day. Somebody said there's only two kinds of people in this world anymore. The morally bankrupt... And those people who agree with me politically. (laughs) And you know, on Facebook, you know how many people like that comment? Way too many. See, we need to engage in the political plot and action again, under the shadow of the cross. Here's the point I want to make. When people make it sound like there's only one Christian position on issues... And then it's a case of good guys against bad guys. They don't really do anything, any favor to the cause of Christ. When you hear statements that say, well, if you're a Christian, this is how you'd vote. If you're a Christian, this is who you should vote for. I think we need a little bit be a little bit careful in how we make those judgments. Here's principle number three. We are to engage in political involvement in the uh I must reflect the whole counsel of God. Let me give you an example of how this works. Why is it that those who express the most concern about terrorism and the war in Afghanistan often say so little about how or what we're going to do to help babies that are born in the ghetto or in the barrios and who stand a better chance of going to prison than going to college? I mean, why is it that those people who sometimes express the most passionate concern equality among women and among men are often least likely to express concern about the tragedy of a million and a half abortions taking place year after year after year after year. I mean, why is it that people who sometimes express outrage over how women are mistreated in this world do not rise up against pornography in our own country, an industry that debases women in even far greater ways? and in far greater numbers than anything else that takes place in this world. If you go through the Bible, you're going to find three social categories that are repeated over and over and over again. It's the orphan, the widow, and the alien. And and to me, it's patently clear that if you study the Bible clearly, we are going to be judged someday by God for our treatment of what we might call marginalized people, people that we think need to be pushed to the side. James, we talked about this morning. Luther didn't particularly like the James. You know, he said it was a straw epistle, but James has got some good stuff in it. He said, religion that is pure and undefiled in the eyes of God the Father is this, to take care of widows and orphans and remain unstained by this world. That's why, friends, you know, as we vote and as we, continue, we consider who, who is going to govern our country, there are certain things that Christians ought to consider. It ought to stand in front of our minds and not just say, well, I'm going to vote this way because I happen to be a Republican or Democrat or I'm a Libertarian or Green Party or Tea Party or Coffee Party or no party whatsoever. You know, we ought to have compassion for the poor. We ought to be concerned about the sanctity of life, including those who are not yet born. I get news for some people, it's God who chooses when people are born. It's God who chooses, who takes them home. We don't have any business whatsoever interfering with that process. Christians ought to lead the way in environmental issues. After all, this is our Father's world. He made it. Guess what? He still owns it. And what has he done? He has given it to us to be stewards and managers. I mean, Christians ought to be concerned with peacemaking. Unless my Bible has changed in the last week or two. I found this passage in Matthew the other day that said, Blessed are the peacemakers. I mean, who's going to work for peace if it's not the church? Uh, How are we going to have moral credibility in our communities To make peace if we in the church can't have peace. I mean, Christians ought to be concerned with racial alienation. I mean, Paul says that Jesus died to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that separated Jews and Gentiles. That was the ethnic chasm of his day. To his Christ followers, not to be involved in tearing down racial walls is to make null and void the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. I mean, Christians ought to be concerned with education. and Education ought to start in the home where parents give their children moral, biblical education. That's just the way Christians should be. We ought to be concerned with the kind of society that values and promotes the family. We ought to be the kind of institution that, that values and promotes male and female marriages and promotes moral values that builds character in the lives of people that enable them to be a Christ follower, to be salt and light in this world. Now, I want you to be aware of something, maybe many of you are. There are differences among well-intended believers about how these values and these goals will be achieved. But as Christians, we need to handle these differences in Christ-honoring ways. And may God help us. Because we're citizens of an earthly kingdom, but more importantly, we are really citizens in another kingdom. What does that old hymn say? I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. That means we've got to live our earthly citizenship passionately to be informed, to be involved in the light of the whole gospel. We need to live it under the shadow of the cross as grace-filled, humble people who, quite honestly, don't have all the answers. We've got to live it in the realization that the hope of this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. If you ask me how you should vote, if you haven't voted yet, I would tell you three things. Be informed, be involved, and be in prayer. Just that simple. Be informed, be involved, and be in prayer. I had a note from somebody the other day. It says, with privilege comes responsibility, one of which is to vote. It says, I'm not sure, but you may not be aware, but for the first time in Bowie County, we are allowed to vote early on Sunday. This Sunday, today, or, they got the date wrong. I have the 28th. They have the 29th. But this Sunday, the 28th, from 1230 to 530, if you live in Bowie County, the Bi-State in Texarkana and the Courthouse in New Boston will be open to vote. Together we are salt and light for God's kingdom. Not only in this town, not only in this county, not only in this state, but in all the United States. Be informed, be involved, and be in prayer. Well, we're going to shift a little direction here to the Meyer Bluegrass Band. Some of you remember them. I think we figured out.